Before we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you about something really exciting for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news here in Washington and across the country. With the SB Live Sports app, it's now even easier to follow your favorite team and tailor your experience to your interests. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers on the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans with coverage from reporters Todd Millis, myself, Andy Bueller, as well as SB Live's preeminent basketball mind and recruiting expert Dan Dickow. The SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. We have the ability to define success. It's all about their vision and then making sure you align their vision with their work ethic. I wanted to be the hero, man. I wanted to save kids. That was my job. That's what I was going to do. This is SB Live's The Prep Slab with TJ Cotterell, the podcast where you will hear authentic conversations about how things get done in high school athletics. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit scorebooklive.com slash Washington to access all the Prep Slab podcasts as well as statewide high school sports news features, photos, highlights, and more. Well, we're excited today to talk with Camas head football coach John Eagle. Eagle has been at Camas near Vancouver, Washington for 13 seasons with more than 125 career wins and two 4A state championships. Over the past decade, Camas has reached the 4A state playoffs nine times. And amid all that success, Eagle has seemingly got the most out of developing players, taking them as freshmen and making them key contributors by the time they're juniors and seniors. And today we're talking about how he goes about this, his philosophies and strategies on how players leave his program better than when they came in. So Coach Eagle, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, TJ. Look forward to it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, the first question we want to ask you is when a ninth grader walks into the football program, what are some of the most important developmental keys for that player over his ninth grade year, whether that's identifying his position, building football IQ, strength and conditioning, playing time. And to you, what sets apart the players who enter your program and how successful they'll be over the long term? Do you notice traits right away in players that help you um, get an understanding of what's going to make a successful player in your program? That's a great question. And uh, TG, I don't know that we have all the answers. You know, we have... Uh, borrowed a lot of ideas from different schools and different coaches out there. I think in a lot of cases, uh, one of the things we do is the first time we, we know these players is not necessarily their ninth grade year. You know, we have two middle schools that feed our school. So we're, we're connected to those people. We also have a pop Warner and a Clark County youth football uh, teams uh, starting in second grade here. Uh, beginning in October, those teams all funnel through our practice field. So they follow us at practice. So, you know, there's a connection between our, our current players and those young kids. So a lot of those young kids have practiced on that field and they've kind of dreamed of being out there uh, for a long time. So we've made those connections way early. Besides the football uh, area, you know, we have a summer program that we we borrowed from a, a program. We And we get kids... Uh, 
our summer program starts at 8.30 and goes to 11.30. And we start, we allow kids to come in as young as fourth grade. And it's just very uh, basic, uh, fundamental uh, exercise things. And, and uh, we'll go 45 minutes in the weight room and 45 minutes outside doing movement things. So a lot of these kids, uh, we, we already know them. And then, uh, like we talked about before, by the time they uh, get into the middle school, uh, you know, they're in our program. Now, we don't do seventh grade football the first time. We only have eighth grade football in the middle school, and that's it. Uh, we are also uh, starting uh, this spring, we're going to do uh, flag football for middle school. And then from there on, we're going to be one of these districts that plays tackle football in the spring and eighth grade. And then those kids. So, and the two head coaches for those two teams are assistant coaches in our building. So we, we've kind of made the. So the advantage of a one high school district is just that. As I see, it seems so key is have you have this one high school district. You can align your youth coaches with with your ideas, and um, the kids are exposed at such a young age. How do you how do you get that buy-in? How do you talk about that having um, just a similar attitude, a like-minded attitude across these programs from your youth to middle school uh, to the high school. How do you get alignment of mindset um, throughout these programs? That's a great question. You know, I, you know, I tell you, football tends to attract a great male ego. And so, you know, one of the first things I try to do is, you know, I, I say, you know, what do you want to do? You know, we're, we're not really tied in. You know, a long time ago, we used to think that they had to run the same plays that we do. Well, you know, we're running inside outside zone and, you know, with a fourth grader, that's not – so we just say, look, at retention and fundamentals. Teach them how to tackle, teach them how to block, and make it fun. I heard a coach one time say, you know, show me a guy that wins a youth championship, and I'll show you a guy that hasn't played everybody. Uh, you know, that, and I tell the youth coaches what you've done is nobody cares who wins the fourth grade championship, but you're going to make some kids quit, and that's not what we want. You know, you're not going to get paid anymore. So we really work hard on – Let's really think about what we're doing here and try to get these kids to their senior year. I took, that, I took that specific quote you had there as a note that I've heard you say that before, that if you're trying to win youth football championships and you're not doing the right way, I think it was from Joe Paterno at Penn State, wasn't it? So what does that yeah. look like within your youth programs? And if you're not focusing on winning these youth championships, then what, what does it look like? What, what is the focus on this? And, and how much are you talking with your youth coaches and in collaboration with your, your coaches at the youth and the middle school levels? No, I think we, we clin clinic with them. We invite them to our spring practices. Uh, if they want to sit down, have a cup of coffee and ask some questions, we're always available to do that. All of our coaches, uh, we will do that. So, you know, we found also that, you know, some kids that age, they just want to be with their friends. They don't want to play. You know, they go home and, and they see their parent is outraged. They're not playing. The young man, you know, maybe at fifth or sixth grade, they don't want to play. It's, it's kind of scary to them, but their friends are there. They're there. So we kind of talk about that and acknowledge about that. You know, I have a, our, our resource officer has a child in youth sports, and he and I talk a lot about, you know, you, you, I got this from Bruce Brown about, you know, you can be a fan or you can be a coach or a player or a referee, but you can't be two. Pick one. So if you're the fan, you're trying to be the coach in the car. That's not – that's not your job. So we talk a lot about that. And I, I sometimes, almost every year, we'll talk to the youth parents about how can we get your child to their senior year playing at Doc Harris. And then I think one of the things also, TJ, that 
you know, we, our coaches used to sit around uh, along a lot and talk about two things that are very frustrating to a lot of public school coaches. One, if you uh, coach in a multi-school district, you have an advantage because the kids can transfer to and from schools. So you can get a bunch of dudes from just roll into your school and you're, you're better overnight or you're a private school and you get kids that move in and make you better overnight. And I said, you know, we got to quit worrying about that and let's focus on what we do have and let's, uh, let's focus on that and make that as strong as we can. That, that is such a, that's such a great uh, point. This is looking at, you know, what, what can we do to take our players? And you guys do it so successfully. Not every program is able to do it successfully. Where we, Like we're trying to train our guys. It's maybe not going to result in the win-loss column. But one of the things I think is so evident in how well you guys run your program is just the amount of juniors and seniors that are consistently contributing uh, to your program. We don't see a whole lot of freshmen and sophomores uh, contributing all the time for you guys. But how do you, how do you teach that commitment? And that by the, we want you playing in Doc Harris by your senior year. And the commitment necessary to sustain that, that long-term program success to your players and, like you just mentioned, getting it from their parents, too, upon any year program. How do, you, how do you get that commitment from those players? I just, I just think that uh, you, again, it's, it's a sit-down, one-on-one conversation. And I'll ask them, how do you see yourself in this program? You know, what, what, do you, what do you want to accomplish? What, what do you, where do you want to be when you graduate? How can I help you get what you want? I think we also try to try to place our kids. You know, I'll tell the sophomores, you know, your goal is to be a two-year starter. So you would want to position yourself behind. Like if you're a sophomore and there's a senior starter at, say, quarterback, well, or maybe the left guard is a senior, that position is open next year. Your goal is to try to get there. So we're, we're, we would never have like three seniors playing left tackle because we, we're always trying to make sure that we have experience the very next year. You know, like we might have a really good quarterback. I said, well, if, if the kid a, a year ahead of you starts two years, do you want to be a JV quarterback as a junior? He said, well, no, I'd like to play. I said, well, I think, I think you can play somewhere else and then maybe come back to quarterback your senior year type just that type of conversation. So I'm curious how you handle that conversation when it seems like so many kids today and the parents are, it's, if I'm not starting, then I'm not playing, I'm quitting or I'm transferring. And you're telling kids, okay, we've got this senior left guard and you might want to play, you know, left, you might want to play right guard, but your best path is by left guard here. How do you, um, how do you deal with this influx of like these outside enemies too, telling kids, no, you are a right guard. You are the quarterback. And these athletes who are looking for this immediacy, we see so much of the idea of, like I said, if I'm not starting, I'm quitting or transferring. Um, do you deal with some of that? And how do you, how do you navigate dealing with that? You know, we, we've dealt with that in the, uh, the quarterback position. You know, we, there's some fathers that want to uh, bulldoze the path for their child. And uh, that, that, that is a unique position. We, we lost a kid already this year. So we're not immune to that. I also, I think over time, you know, we're beginning to get lots of uh, cousins and younger brothers of players and uh, neighbors. And, you know, I think we've kind of earned a, a decent reputation that kids will listen. But uh, we, uh, we, we do have their best interests at heart. We really do. We want to get them on. We want to play as many kids as we can and make contributors everywhere if we can. So it sounds like as long as your message is consistent throughout the years, it might not be as easy when you're a younger coach 
as you as you build that trust and you get these family members coming in, it becomes easier to get that buy-in from kids because your message is consistent, and that's how you build that trust, right? Yes, that's that's the goal. So for you, how important then? Let's go back to just developing these players too. Once once you get them in, you get that commitment. How important to you is weight room stuff in the cameras program? And do trainers do players train outside of the team? And how much impact does that have if they do? You know, we do have we do right now. Currently, we have some players that are training off campus, and that's 100% fine. Um, just as long as they know that. Uh, you know, we want them to be, we want them to know their teammates. This is a unique time right now. I, I, I think it's, you know, any way you can find a place that you're comfortable with going, then do it. So maybe ask me in a year. I think maybe we might be more back to how things are done. But um, I just tell them, I, you know, like we have a quarterback that trains. He's got a trainer somewhere else. I said, well, you know, you want to your linemen want to work with you. If they see you working with them and encouraging them in the room, they're, they want to do a better job when you're in. Not some guy who just cruises in to game time type stuff. So I think when, we, when you describe it to them that way, they're more inclined to understand the big picture. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm curious, outside of a pandemic situation, what are your expectations? for athletes uh, within your high school program during like the winter and spring months when you're out of season. Obviously right now you're in season during spring, but in a typical season during the winter, spring, months, what are your expectations for athletes during that time? And how do you balance those expectations with those, um, the expectations for other sports teams that might be playing on and sharing your athletes? Um, what do you go about, what are your expectations for them during those off season months? That's a great question. You know, we, we're always encouraging kids to do other sports. I, you know, I say you're only young ones, play as much as you can. Uh, we, the zero hour helps because they can still come and do zero hour and still wrestle, play basketball, baseball, and all those kinds of things. So I want them to play other things, do other things. Don't just be a, a football only guy. And some kids, you know, maybe even rugby. And we have a lot of lacrosse and rugby players. And so, you know, another thing, you know, you talk about commitment. I think and one, one of the expressions we use uh, as a coach, you want to make, you want to get kids to commit to you. And we say the coach's job is to notice, notice you need to see everything. You know, I, it's my job to notice that my, my junior offensive lineman grandfather passed away and I'm going to make it a point to reach out to him. And, and I'm going to, I want to, you know, the player whose parents might be splitting up. I need to ask, Hey, how are you doing? Or the kid on the grade. So something, not anything related to football, I need to notice what is going on in their life. And because I truly care about that. And I tell them that, you know, to me, the public sees the wins and the losses. I said, what they don't see is that some day years from now that you would invite me to your wedding or you would email me and just want to connect and go out and have a cup of coffee or something like that. I said, that means more to me than any any union victory or anything else. It really does. And, and they, at first they don't believe it, but I said, you know, I all, and then I tell them, hey, I got an email today from a guy I coached 20 years ago. And I, I said, this is what the conversation was about. I said, it was made my day. So I think, uh, and I think a lot of people do that. And I, a lot of coaches know that, but I think that's what drives commitment is the kids know that you're invested in them personally. 
and you're not just investing them and in, in developing as these weight room warriors and, and football players, but you're developing this, this whole child approach, as I think you said in the pre-call, just worrying about them as people too, and if, how their grandparents doing. But that's just as important to you. Right, absolutely. So I'm curious on that, on that now that we're on that track there, what, what team building or, or leadership development strategies do you use to grow players into leaders in your program? Which, like we said, you get so many of these seniors. Um, how do you develop that facet of these, these leadership development strategies that you have? That's a great question. You know, we'll, we'll get together with, uh, you know, we, we don't vote on captains. You know, we pick some kids. I say, who wants to be a captain? So I, hey, come over to my house. We're going to sit in the lawn chairs and talk about what it means to be a leader. You know, uh, and, you know, I think coaches are notorious for it. We need more leadership out here. Well, you know, without telling them what it means and, and how you go about doing it. You know, you got the vocal guy. You got the guy who doesn't say anything, but he works hard. Uh, you got the guy, you know, there's several ways to lead. Uh, the guy who's the include everybody guy or the guy who goes and picks up the sophomore who needs a ride guy. Those are leadership characteristics that we try to encourage. And so we tell them that the, the leader or a captain exists in the world between coach and player. And that means you need to communicate both ways. You know, like you go, hey, and I'll always ask him, hey, is there some things going on that I should know about? Do you have some examples of players where you've just, you just, you've seen that growth in leadership when they come into your program, when they leave, and how your program influences kids? What, what are some of the keys in your, in that program to, um, to getting kids to be the leaders that you're looking for by the time that they're leaving? You know, that's a great, you know, we have a lot of kids that go on to play college football and it make, gives me a lot of pride that they be, became captains on their college team. And I think, uh, you know, I think maybe, and some don't, some, some are not that type of person or that team might be looking for something. So I think the fact that they grow into uh, and they pursue their life goals and they come back and we have a lot of kids that, um, we have a young man that uh, graduated Washington State. He played on the championship team, and he's volunteer coaching out here, and he's going to get his graduate degree at Portland State. Uh, so a lot of those kids come back, and, and we hear about them, but they're great leaders, I think. And, and we talk not, not just about sports, but, you know, you need to be a leader in your family. You know, so you're going to have a family someday, and, and that, that uh, young, uh, your child or your wife is going to look to you to be a leader. You know, and what does that mean? How, how much are your players, your leaders in the team, involved in your weight room stuff, in your, in your player development? How much, you, how much are you getting them involved in some of the getting kids, other kids involved in getting the commitment? How much is on you guys? Well, you know, we, we, we talk about, uh, you know, uh, you'll attract a lot more flies with honey than vinegar. You know, the guy that uh, some people just can't get up in the morning. And the, the worst thing you can do is yell at them, say, you need to be here. You know, hey, we really want you here, you know, and uh, you make us better when you're here. And I will tell you, our zero hour, you know, you, I don't know if you can see in this room, but we have we have two uh, aisles and, and we have this thing every day called a finisher. It's how we finish each day. And it's a competition between one side of the room and the other or hey, pick offense or defense. And we go at each other. And it's, it's a great bonding thing because, you know, you're kind of forced to, everybody's counting on you to do the right thing, you know. So uh, you, you see that uh, your performance matters to everybody. And we do it every single day. And we, we make it fun and it's competitive. So I told our coaches, 
hear these finishers. I said, we don't need team building. I said, it's happening here every day. And then maybe we get out once a week and we'll go out and do something fun in the gym. And, and it's already happening, so. That's so great because you're, you're building that environment where they, they want to be there. They want to keep getting better in there because you're developing these things that, that make them want to be there. Um, you talked about the zero hour a little bit on the pre-call, but can you explain that a little bit more? How, how you, what your zero hour looks like and is that from you or do you have someone in charge of running this stuff and how do you control the message that's in there too? We have, uh, uh, I'm, I, uh, I'm the teacher in there. I do all the uh, setup stuff and then I have a young, a young coach, I think I mentioned to you, played at Colorado. He's got a degree exercise size, really good, very creative. Uh, he's a great teacher and the kids uh, listen to him. And so, I, you know, I, I think I told you before that when I was a younger coach, I didn't want anybody talking to my guys. Hey, only I can talk to my guys. Well, I'm always looking for expertise. I think a lot of coaches say, you know, we got to get a guy in the building. We got to get him in the building. Well, yeah, if he's a great teacher, if he can interview and get the job and he has expertise. So we've all, look at, I'd rather have expertise and get a guy from outside the building than uh, a guy who's an average coach, but he's in the building. I think you need both. So we, we, we want, our kids demand expertise. Hey, coach me up. I, I want expertise. I want somebody that knows what they're talking about. That's what kids want today. So this, I have a young guy that comes in and runs it and uh, we're doing something. He wants to start a program. This is going to be awesome. He wants Camas to become the mecca of uh, linemen in the Pacific Northwest. So he, we are getting all these big guys. Wait, I thought it already was. This, this well, wasn't already a thing. I thought they, we've been. Well, you should look at us now. We're very, we're very. You know, I look at him right in the eye. That should tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> but he started getting these kids in seventh grade. They're going to come in in the evening. And uh, he's going to train them, and he's got he's got a, he's got a Pied Piper personality, you know. He's got expertise. Uh, uh, we make it affordable, you know. We subsidize it with uh, legally. Uh, I like the parents to pay a little bit because if 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 they've invested a little bit, then come on, get in the car, we're going. And uh, if it's free, uh, you know, I'm gonna play video games tonight. So I think the parents paying a little bit makes their commitment greater. So we're, we're really excited about this program. You know, we're not, you know, you're going to get some five, seven receiver with the $200 cleats rolling in. I said, no, you're not coming in here. This is just for the big, the big dogs to put their hand on the ground. You don't put your hand on the ground. You're not getting in. So we're excited about that, but that's, you know, that's uh, our culture. We want to create and, and make it stronger and it's something we can do. Well, that, that makes me think of this question about, about staff continuity and how important is that have staff continuity and cohesion in the development of your players and, and how many of your staff members have had have you had for multiple years and what does your staff turnover look like and how many coaches also actually teach at canvas too we have uh, six guys that teach here and we probably have 10 more that uh, are either uh, teachers in other schools that come in or they do not, are not teachers and they still come in so we have about 16 coaches that uh, I want to say together we might have close to 400 years of coaching experience. I've got two guys on my staff that are 70 and 72. And I mean, they run around and they have expertise and the kids listen to them. 
uh, and they're fantastic. So I think continuity is, you know, I think you, you get that when you let people coach, you don't micromanage them. You say, look at here, I'm going to tell you what I think you go ahead and do what you want to do. Have you ever had issues with that over the years in your programs? Has it always been feel like you have this cohesion in your staff of, you know, you know, you always have coaching is solving problems. You know, I say, I'll listen to all ideas unless they're dumb. <laughs> so, uh, we have a thing on our Sunday meetings during the season. We have blind spots and blind spots mean it's, it's everybody's opportunity to point out something that, uh, is a problem for them. And I'll always start the meeting by saying, Hey, is there anything I need to do to help you do your job better? What am I missing something? And somebody might say, Hey, why isn't Johnson? He's starting for us at safety. Why isn't he getting any reps at receiver or, you know, Nelson only carried the ball four times. Why he should carry the ball more. And so this gives everybody a chance to air their concerns. And then once that meeting's over, then we let it go. So the last thing you want, what what hurts staff continuity is I call them parking lot conversations. You know, everybody at the after the meeting, everybody's leaving. You got two guys standing in the parking lot upset about something. You know, this should have been brought up in front of everybody else. Now we have, we have some coaches on our staff that we're not blessed with very good filters. And so they'll say something like, you know, that's really stupid. You need to shut up, (laughs) 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 but they'll say it in such a way that (laughs) you just love them, you know? So (laughs) I think we have a really good group of guys that really are tight and we fit together very well. So we're very blessed and fortunate to have this group of guys. And I think it, I think our players see it and it feeds, they feed off it. I'm curious if we kind of take a step back here because I think there is, there could be a perception where you look at some of the best programs, like that program is built on talent. They just get, they got these talented players and some, some of that is evident because they fluctuate year after year. Um, but yours just seems to be so steady. You have to, like I said, you got all these seniors and juniors, but, um, how much of your program is built on just like, hey, we get these kids who are talented coming in, we're blessed with that. And how much, how important is it to you to have this development of a player, taking a kid from when he's there as a freshman and, and making him so much better as a senior? To you, how important is developing that player versus talent in the success of your program? Well, two things. One is we, we always look at, like the 2019 team, I said, I don't, I said, I don't think there's really anybody in the school that's not playing that would have gotten on the field and helped us. So I said, we had everybody in the school. So we've always believed if you can have everybody in the school playing that can contribute, you're going to win. You're going to win. And then I think uh, the next thing, I think, you know, you just got to develop your players. So, uh, you know, we talk about fundamentals a lot. And I think putting people in the right position, I think is important. Uh, I think our coaches do a good job with technology. Yeah, I think they're, I don't think people get, I used to work at a school where we would have some talent and then coaches would look at, oh gosh, if I had that talent, I could do this. But they didn't see all the hard work that went in just to get the kid on the field. We had to get him fed and we had to get him eligible and we had to get him cleats and we had to, you know, so we have less baggage. We have less things. Uh, uh, the kids show up at school and campus pretty well prepared. You know, we are 20% free and reduced. So 
the, the perception is that, you know, everybody in Camas has money and they're rich. That, that is not the case. It's not the case, but that's the perception. So we just try to develop our kids uh, the best we can. So I think we have a lot of good coaches that are good teachers. How does that development look like during the season? How much are kids in the weight room during the season for you guys? And how much are you incorporating development? Once you get into the season, what does that look like during a season? Maybe, maybe it looks different right now because obviously you're in a weight room and you probably would have kids normally in here right now. But during a normal season, how does that typically look? That's a great question. So what, the, what our daily routine would look like is we would uh, we lift at the zero hour, and then we would cut it short in season, and we would go offensive film. So uh, the offensive lineman would go in one room, and everybody else that's varsity would watch film. So all the offensive film training is done during this zero hour. And then uh, then all the other kids that are not football players that are in the room, they're still lifting. Now. Uh, our defense coaches, who most of them work off campus, they watch film after practice. So it becomes a long day for some of these kids. Uh, one thing that we do, we started doing this a couple of years ago, is we will get dressed minus the shoulder pads and helmet, and we will lift in this room before we get on the bus for a game. And so that answers the question, well, how come these kids have to work out in zero and these kids are sitting around watching film? Well, I tell them that these kids are lifting on Friday when you don't lift on Friday. So anyway, that's what we do. I think that, uh, I think that maybe answers your question. Yeah, no, I don't, think all co- I, think all, I don't think all coaches would consider we want kids lifting throughout the season and, and emphasize it as much. Why do, you, why do you consider emphasizing it that much? To, we're still in the weight room, still in zero hour, we're still, but the day of a game, we're still in the weight room lifting. Why do you why do you emphasize that in your program? Well, we just talked about uh, you know football. If you want to uh, go for a long time, you know it's a it's a game of attrition, and we don't want to lose anybody. And if we can stay healthy, uh, then I think we have an opportunity to be to be successful. So and wait, we tell the kids why the weight room is important for that. Well, I want to end on this because I, I had a few coaches from different parts. I, w- I wanted to reach out to you about this. Like, what would you ask Coach Eagle if you had a chance to learn some things about his program? And this is what I want to end on. What are some of the most important things to you upon taking over a program that you believe will help that program develop players, develop tradition, develop community, and sustain long-term success? What, do you te- what to you are the most important things for anyone taking over a program that helps develop those things? I think that, uh, so you talk about buy-in, and I think that when I was a young coach and my wife worked evenings, I recruited our own players, meaning I went to their house and I sat down and I listened to them talk about, tell me about you, tell me about how you see yourself playing football. And so I try to get as many of those, I think you develop, start to develop uh, relationships with people and um, you just go from there and if it's good you, the numbers will grow so I think I think the relationship piece is very very important you know I I will tell you that uh, some where we are now if we say this is that uh, numbers we average 159 through 12 you know sometimes 130 we've been as high as 185 I said numbers are our strength and numbers can be our weakness. You know, we're, we're working so hard to get, you have 60 freshmen and you're trying to get them all in. It's like having a basketball team of 20. 
good luck trying to get them all in. You know, it's like, uh, so I think you, sometimes it can be too much, but I think it's, you start with um, relationships and then you got to coach up your coaches to tell them that this is who we are. And you know, talk about the culture and the do's and don'ts of what we expect as a coach. I think a lot of coaches uh, can run kids off. So they kind of know how we do things, you know. Um, we could talk about the culture piece for an hour, but uh, I think that's where you start. Coach Eagle, thank you so much for your time. There's so much stuff that I think will stimulate a lot of thoughts for people who would listen to this. And so um, appreciative of you providing insights into how do you do things in your program. Um, anything else you didn't get a chance to say you think should be said about this topic of development of players? You know, I just think that, you know, one thing that's all it has always haunted me, and it, I heard this a long time ago, and it's, uh, I heard a speaker say, uh, successful people evaluate themselves first, and unsuccessful people evaluate everyone else but themselves. So I've always held on to that, and e even uh, win or lose, I'm haunted, and I'm in great fear of losing a game. So I will go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't matter who the opponent is to do our very best to uh, prepare our team. So I think I'm kind of obsessed that way in the organization and in preparation. I think that just filters down through all of our coaches and our players is that we want to leave no stone unturned in our preparation. And then I would tell kids, I hope that you take this with you in your relationships and then whatever profession you pursue. And I think kids will say, tell us, call back and say, you know, I've just used football principles and it's helping me. And that means a lot to us. Coach Eagle, thank you so much uh, for all your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, uh, talking with me. I, I'm just uh, very uh, encouraged that I got to share with you. I appreciate it.